Hello? Oh, well, this is going to be fun. <laughs> uh, hello? Oh, better. It's uh, lovely to see you. Uh, don't be scared. But um, uh, we could have a bit of interaction potentially today, if you if you wish. So uh, do feel feel free if you like to uh, shout out encouragement as we go through, or uh, yeah, polite conversation uh, with me. Uh, that's fine. There are a couple of questions for you to discuss with the people you're around, um, and hopefully you'll appreciate my uh, postmodern title for the talk today, uh, along with the, the second slide. Um, so those of you that are here that are attentive uh, may know what we're thinking about today. Following on a bit from last week, uh, we're in the process as a church of kind of reimagining the way our midweek um, activities run. And these are groups where you know, people from the church gather together in somebody's home and do Christian things together. Um, but I don't know, like, if you've not heard of these things before, I do wonder what that kind of conjures up in your mind. You know, does that sound to you like a place you'd like to go? Maybe you sit there thinking, Christian things together, midweek? That sounds like a complete waste of an evening to me. Uh, you might think, but it's all right for you, but that's not for me. Maybe you're thinking, oh, that sounds a bit interesting. Tell me more. Well, I'm not really going to tell you much more about it. But um, maybe you think something else as well. Maybe you just have, I don't know, if, you, uh, if you've got any interesting thoughts on what immediately springs to mind as doing something Christian-y together during the week. Um, yeah, just like think about that and you know, either tell me afterwards, talk to the people around you afterwards and, and let them know what you kind of think that conjures up. Hopefully we'll know a bit more about it when the time comes. Also, you might be wondering what I'm doing here if we're talking about midweek stuff. Because those of you who are very astute will realise that it is not midweek. Some of you may not have noticed that. Uh, Well, secondly, as a church, one of the things that we really want to do, uh, and we really try to do, is to be gospel-centred. We want the the, the truth of the Bible to inform everything that we do. So what we want you to be able to do with anything that we do as a church is like, take a kind of peek under the covers of that ministry and see the gospel. Wrap it up in all sorts of different ways. So we wrap it up in a different way for the kids downstairs. We wrap it up in a different way for doing a kind of event where we bring all our friends to. We wrap it up in a different way for church. But what we want you to be able to do with like a present at Christmas is peek underneath and see the gospel is there. So hopefully we're going to see how our midweek stuff is going to be powered and shaped by the gospel. Now the gospel, that's a big Christian word even though it's only six letters long. Uh, That's the good news of Jesus. The message that God the Father wants to be our Father, and he wants to love us so that we can enjoy that and become more and more truly human and liberated as that happens. And we'll talk a bit more about that later on. So, when it comes to midweek stuff, we want the gospel to be at the centre of that. We want everyone to know that, and how it works, and how it comes from the Bible's teaching. So last week, Luke, who's just left... Uh, talked with about God's about um, about us all being how we can be part of God's family and how if you're part of God's family you're part of this weird gathering that we call church that no one is less important than another that anybody can join it and that God pulls a huge variety of all sorts of different people together and he helps them to live together and do church together to show that God loves all sorts of people 
Now, whatever your race or gender or age or favourite football team, favourite colour, favourite taste in music, least favourite taste in music, whatever your nationality, anything, that God can bring people together. He is a uniter. The gospel unites people. So I'm going to take us, hopefully, to another passage today and see how God does that and how God wants us to do church together. But I'm going to look at it at a different angle from Luke last week. Um, And to that end, I have... Ah, that was my second slide that was, you know, snappily titled. So I've got a question for you to um, to discuss. And this is a kind of slightly different angle on what we're looking at today. Uh, and hopefully it's going to come up next. There we go. Are you dressed for church? So I want you to just chat to the people next to you, around you. If you don't know them, introduce yourself. Um, are you dressed for church? What does that conjure up in your mind as you hear that question? So, discuss. Anybody got any thoughts on that one? Feel free to shout them out. Or not, but anyone got any thoughts on that? Well, there was a lot of chat, so in teacher mode, if you've got something to say, you can share it with the rest of the class. Anyone got any thoughts on that? Pardon? How are you dressed? What you were? Yeah. Any more than that? Anybody else? Yeah, 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 the idea of coming in your Sunday best, yeah, any other things? Oh, interesting, well, like you're thinking, we'll get somewhere, the Bible does talk about being clothed in righteousness, for definite, so we'll get there, so there's a bit of a sneak preview for you into maybe thinking about it in a different way, so I was chatting with somebody at work the other day, um, uh, don't tell my employer because obviously we weren't working, we were just chatting and we were on the clock. Um, but I was talking to them and it was really interesting because they used to go to church quite regularly, but they, they haven't been for a while. And this Christmas, they were invited by their partner's mother to go to midnight mass at the at a Catholic church, so the kind of midnight communion service that some churches do. And they said to me, because they know I'm part of a church, they said... Um, about the, asking what, what, like, what should you wear to go to church? They they were thinking about going out and buying a, a new outfit for this service. That um, I mean that you know, amused me immediately. Um, but they were thinking of buying a new outfit for it. And some of you who know me may not be surprised at my response to the next question that they asked, which was, they said, "Well, what do you wear to church, Richard?" Um, well, I thought, oh, well, what really can I say? I told them that when I'm at work, what I wear, I wear ironed trousers. So that's sort of true. They're ironed on a Monday and worn all the way through the week and just kind of thrown in a heap overnight. Uh, and an iron shirt. I iron all of my shirts. Uh, not very well, but I try. Uh, and that's the smartest that really they would ever see me. Uh, I told them that, you know, oh, outside of a wedding, I have to wear a suit for a wedding. That's uh, part of my uh, marriage vows. Um, but apart from that, you know, sh- shorts, t-shirts, flip-flops, trousers, often with a hole in. The only reason my trousers haven't got a hole in today is because I had to buy some new ones because all of my trousers, apart from my work trousers, had holes in. Um, so these are a new pair of trousers that you can comment on later if you wish. But they were, they were shocked when I said I'd go to church. I mean, they've seen me dressed like that. Sometimes I'll go into work and get changed there and 
I've gone in like, you know, scruffy shorts and flip-flops, and they just think, that, you know, they mock me for it, which is fine. But they just thought, but you should go to church in your Sunday best, shouldn't you? That you should dress up to go to church. You should put the effort in. Um, I think, well, I sort of thought about it a little bit, and we had a good chat, and it was really interesting. But then I got me on to thinking about that, this for today. So, And I think that the idea of your Sunday best is kind of a properly British idea. Um, you know, it's the idea that you wear your, your best clothes that are all washed and ironed. You polish your shoes and you brush your teeth and you make an effort to, to look good because you're doing a really important thing. And I kind of get that. I, I understand why people want to do that. I thought if I were going to meet the Queen, I'd dress smartly. You know, I'd have a shower and everything. I'd consider it an absolute great honour and I'd take it really seriously if I got to meet the Queen. So why? So I get why some people want to do that when they come to church to meet with God. Because after all, he is more important than the Queen. And I really love the Queen. So why don't we get dressed up for him and show our respect in that way? I think some of it is we kind of know that we can't impress God by what we wear. And if we want to be more relevant to the culture that we live in, we don't want to look really weird if somebody just kind of pops in to see what church is all about and we're all sat here in you know, shiny suits and fancy dresses. Um, It'd be even weirder if we like all the men were in fancy dresses and the women were in shiny suits, and that'd look really odd. Um, but we want, but also, we, for me anyway, I'm a bit lazy and I don't have loads of smart clothes, and I don't really feel comfortable if I'm looking tidy. I'm happier, scruffier. That's my kind of way in life. If you're happy in smart clothes, come to church in a suit. If you're happy warm, wear a coat. Uh, if you're happy in your kind of native clothing, because you come from a different culture, just you know, wear that, that's great. If you come straight from work, feel free to come in grubby overalls covered in dirt and oil, or, you know, yellow and red if you've been lifeguarding. Um, so really, all of that is by way of introduction to a bigger understanding of the same question. We're going to read from uh, the Bible again. We're going to read from the book of Colossians. If you don't know where it is, uh, and you want to kind of know for future reference in other Bibles, in the New Testament you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, then there are five books, six books, that follow the five vowels of the English language. A-E-I-O-U, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Thessalonians. So, Colossians is in the middle. So, it's on page 1184 in your Red Church Bibles. So, if you can find that, we'll read through the first uh, 17 verses together. So, Colossians chapter 3. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. 
Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its creator. Here, there are there is no Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Okay. So, we're going to take a yeah, bit of time this afternoon to look through this, this passage, and we split down into four sections for us, uh, under four different headings. But those of you who uh, have, have been reading it through, following it in the Bible, will notice that the big three at the beginning of that passage is indicative that we haven't started at the beginning. If we started at the beginning, there would be a big one. So we haven't. We've started part way through. Uh, we are basically being really rude as we read that passage. We're butting into a kind of one-directional conversation that Paul, the guy who wrote this letter, is having with a church, a gathering of God's family in this town called Colossae. Uh, So let me tell you, and feel free to check up on it later, that up to now Paul's been encouraging this uh, gathering in Colossae to keep on being part of God's family. So where we butt in to this conversation, uh, and he says, if then you've been raised with Christ, he's simply saying, if you've become part of God's big family, The reason he's saying raised with Christ is because he assumes that people have already died with Christ. And he talked a bit about that in in the book as well. I mean, you probably are quite well acquainted with the, the, you know, vaguely with the story of Jesus. Uh, He was born a couple of weeks ago at Christmas. In a few months, he'll die on Good Friday. He'll come back to life on Easter Sunday. And then he'll go up to heaven again at Pentecost, which on this year is the 4th of June. Um, Paul is saying that if that happened to Jesus... In a similar way, it'll happen to the people who are part of God's family. Uh, For better or worse, I was born into the Proctor family, but I've been reborn, born again, into God's family. And how that happens is through the gospel. So I told you we'd get back to it at some point. And this kind of gospel change when you are reborn into God's family is where the story of Jesus, so where Jesus' story and my story or your story they just crash into each other, never to come apart again. In this gospel change, uh, my family, all my history, all my wrongdoings, and all my triumphs meet with Jesus, 
with his family, with his history, with his life, with his triumphs and with his glories. Jesus brings me into his family and into his story. He takes away all my wrongdoings and he gives me all his triumphs and his glories. How this works in practice is that I agree with God that I'm not perfect and that he is and that I want to be part of his family because it's the best thing that I could ever have. As I say to God the Father that I don't deserve it, um, to be his son, but I want to be, and I'm willing to give him my life to do with it whatever he wants. That's when, as we say that, as we give up our life, as we say, God, do with my life what you will, we die with Christ. It's like giving up of our old life and dying to it. Then Jesus gives us his life, he gives me his life and all of his goodness. And with that, we are raised with Christ. We become part of God's big family. And this is the kind of incredible process that God promises in the Bible. And it kind of happens like that. But the time that it can take to get there could be a lifetime. Or the time from there, believing it's happened, could take ages. But joining God's family is the work of a moment. And it's based on the moment in history when Jesus bore the wrath of God on the cross. When he died on Good Friday, rose on Easter Sunday, and then went up to heaven at Pentecost. And the amazing transformation means loads of other things too. Uh, and it's only one of those that we want to dwell on for a bit this afternoon. Uh, that when we join God's big family, we don't just join God the Father, Jesus his Son, and the Holy Spirit. We join the church. So I don't know about you, but have you ever met somebody who seemed really interesting and really captivating? Maybe think about your husband or your wife when you first met them or your boyfriend or girlfriend or just a friend when you first met them they seemed really great didn't they and then you met their family here's this great person that you're really interested and really want to get to know better but you didn't realise all the crazy baggage that came along with them maybe you would have thought twice if you had known Well, this may have been your experience. Some of my in-laws are here, so it wasn't mine. That's rubbish. Uh, The first time I met Hannah's whole family, my goodness. Uh, We hadn't been together all that long. It was, I was absolutely terrified. We were really happy going out, having like uh, picnics and nice walks in the country. You know, characters from an Enid Blyton story, something like that. Um, And that was all good. But the first time I met the rest of them all together, was at Hannah's grandpa's 90-something, I think third, but I couldn't remember. So I've said third, but it might be wrong. 93rd birthday party. Uh, And I was the last one to arrive. They were all there, and I came out into the garden where they all worked. It was in summer, hoping to just kind of settle into the background and not say anything stupid by not saying anything at all. Although, I came out, and grandpa, in all of his age, came straight up to me shook me by the hand and said, welcome to the family. Uh, and it's rude to run away when an elderly gentleman is holding your hand. So I was stuck. That was it. I had to stay. But before we move on to the, the next few verses, let me remind you that Paul is encouraging people to be part of God's family as he starts off this passage. Okay, the next section from verses 5 to 11. There we go. So... I've entitled this section, Take Off Your Old Clothes. I was this close to wearing a set of clothes that I could take off and put on some new ones today, but I thought, it's pretty cold and it could get quite awkward. Um, 
so I haven't. I'm using this as a metaphor as well. I'm not telling you that you have to immediately take off your clothes. In the next few verses, Paul is saying to the church that he's writing to in Colossae that before you joined God's family, there were things in you that are now not appropriate for a member of God's family. And before we just check what those are, if these things weren't an issue for the church that he's writing to, he wouldn't have needed to mention them. But the reason he has to mention them is because Christians are not perfect. If you think that you're perfect, uh, you aren't. If you think that I want you to think that I'm perfect, I'm not. And I don't want you to think that, or that anyone other than Jesus is perfect. And if you bank on anyone other than Jesus never letting you down, you're going to be disappointed at some point. And if you think you're that dependable, that you won't ever let somebody down, you're not. So let's uh, quickly see what these things are that Paul wants us not to be like. as items of clothing that he wants us to kind of remove and never put back on again. So he's got a list there. I've uh, written them out in my notes so it's easy to find. So he says, So take off sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed. These are idolatry, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, and don't lie to each other. These are the old clothes that Paul wants us to take off and never put back on. They're not things that are going to help us. And I think we can, you know, we can just naturally agree with that. These are not things that are going to help us. Jesus doesn't want these things to be characteristic of his family. Why? Because these things are not characteristic of Jesus himself. He wants us to be renewed to the image of our creator. Jesus wants us to look like him. He wants us to bear family likeness to him, not bring the family into disrepute. This list of clothing that that is to be got rid of is clearly not good. Nothing on that list is going to help me be a good husband or a good friend or a good employee, nor will it help you be a good pupil at school or an employer or um, anything, a parent, a child, church member, church leader. None of those things will help in that. Nothing on this list will help us even be human all of these things Jesus wants us to take off and never put back on. All of these things will not help us to build relationships or enjoy them, which is what life is really all about. Firstly with Jesus, then with other people, and then with the world. All these things will damage and break relationships and cause pain to us and to others. Uh, and if they're common in the church, they'll cause it to rot from the inside out. We'd never grow as a church because God wouldn't risk bringing other people to us. But we're thankful to God that the church is growing. So even though I know some of these are present in my life from time to time and in everyone's life at times. Um, I'll just read that bit again because I've got lost. Uh, uh, I misread one of the words. That really didn't help. It said, even though uh, I know some of these things are present in my life, every one of them, uh, they, they do crop up at times, but realistically, this means that they're present in your lives too. Uh, you don't have to kind of put your hand up and say, yes, I agree with that, but I think we all know that these things crop up from time to time. But don't worry, because I think that so long as we don't want them to be part of our lives, we, we're sort of facing in the right direction. It's more of an issue if you really love being malicious or if you really enjoy slandering people, then that's a different case. If you occasionally do it, but you don't want to be doing it, 
And if you're saddened sometimes by your thoughts or your actions or your desires, that sort of, it's sort of okay, at least you're going in the right direction. Because um, sometimes I find that I do the things that I don't want to do and I don't do the things that I know I should do. And if, you, if you're the same as that, then you kind of know you're heading in the right direction. The guy who wrote this letter to the church in Colossae felt exactly the same because he says so. So that's a little bit depressing. And metaphorically, we've taken off our old clothes, so we're still shivering in the cold. So what should we do next? We've put on some new clothes. So from verses 12 through 14, Paul tells this church in Colossae just what to do. He says to them, put on some new clothes. Put on compassion, which is mercy in action. Put on kindness, showing generosity. Put on humility, having a God-centered view of ourselves. Put on gentleness, considering the feelings of others as we act. Put on patience, not pressing on, ignoring those around us. Forbearance, giving people uh, permission to make mistakes, even at our own expense. Forgiveness, not bearing grudges and actively rebuilding and restoring relationships. And most of all, he says, put on love. This... That was nicely timed. Uh, this, to make it work again, is, um, is our new wardrobe. As God's people, this is our wardrobe. What a difference it would make, I think, if we could be dressed in these things and only ever these things and never take them off. Never the first things that we read earlier. These clothes are appealing, though, aren't they? They sound divine, quite literally, I think. These are all the attitudes that we love to see in the people that we spend time with. Do you get that? So often we love to see these things in the people that we spend time with. Sometimes we're more concerned with that than we are us being like that. Or maybe we allow ourselves not to put these things on because other people who we interact with haven't put them on when they've interacted with us. So maybe we've thought, he didn't think about my feelings, so I'm not going to think about his. Or, she only ever thinks of herself, I'm not going to look out for her. Or, I'm going to do this or that, no matter what anybody else says. I don't know if those things have ever been your thoughts, they've been my thoughts at times. But these new clothes that we are to wear sound great, don't they? They're just not that easy to get on. And why is that? And I think it's easier to answer, because... Life's messy, isn't it? Uh, We have loads of baggage and struggles and assumptions about what's like normal. And we don't like it when somebody kind of cuts through our normal. But we have no idea when we cut through theirs. I think if I lived as a hermit somewhere, uh, didn't interact with anybody, I could convince myself that I was wearing all of these clothes because I would never, ever have them tested. If I didn't spend time with anybody... Of course I'd be being compassionate because I've got nobody to be compassionate to but nobody to be not compassionate to. It'd be so easy. But God doesn't want us to be hermits. God created us for community. We live in and about the lives of other people. So these new clothes are always being put to the test. And Jesus gives us a mechanism, I think, for the way that we should do that and the way these clothes can be put on and the way these clothes can be kept on. The mechanism that Jesus gives us for that is the church. And by that, I don't just mean a couple of hours on a Sunday afternoon. 
uh, but the lives of other local Christians that we're committed to. Someone who comes to Jesus and joins his family joins the church. You can't uh, join him without being committed to a local expression of his family, the church. For me and for most of you, that's here at Rotherham Evangelical Church. And if you're visiting, it's your home church. Or if you're not part of God's family, then it's nowhere yet. You're really welcome. And your privilege is to see what it looks like to be part of God's family. But you don't get to be fully involved until you join Jesus and join the church. You basically get to sit back and watch a family with all of its mess and difficulty, but not quite take full part. So how does Jesus want his church to work? Family member to family member. There are some direct lessons for us here, I think, in, uh, in this passage that, that Paul teaches through. Firstly, though, we have to know each other. We can't love each other without knowing each other. Luke said this last week. He said, you know, we, people say they can love abstract Christians all around the world, but you, you don't need to. Why don't you just love the, the, like, the real Christians that are here that we can share life together with? We need to know each other. To be compassionate to each other, we have to be honest and open and share our hurts and our struggles. To be patient with each other, we have to do things together. To forgive each other, we have to trust someone enough to let them have some control over something in our lives and let them make a mistake with it. The only way to overcome these things when they get messy is to forgive and to love. So Paul has some commands for us. We don't really like commands, um, but never mind. Uh, The first one is a negative one, a do not. So the first one he gives us in this passage, you may have spotted it earlier, is do not lie to one another. So truth and honesty should be the things that characterize our lives. Being deceitful damages community and relationships. I personally feel like I can see it a mile off if somebody's trying to lie to me and to my face. I feel like if you don't know, just say I don't know. It's like, you know, if somebody says, oh, where's, you know, how'd you get to Tesco from here? And you think, oh, I don't want to say to them, I don't know where it is. I'm going to say, uh, end of the road, go right, down there, go left, because everybody knows nobody can remember directions. Rather than just saying I don't know, ask the next person. Um, so if we don't know, just say I don't know. Don't lie to me or to others. The truth brings freedom. And personally, uh, I feel like I really know this. I've been somebody who, for a time in my life, my life was characterized by lying. And the freedom that it brought me when I could stop was I never, ever had to think, what, what did I say before? If you lie, you've got, to be, you've got to have a really good memory. You've got to remember everything. Because if you lie once, your next lie has to line up with it. But my memory now is nowhere near as good as it used to be. It doesn't have quite the exercise that it once did. So I want to encourage you to tell the truth. And I want you to tell the truth to me. This one sort of builds into the next one of these commands. Before my thing's all gone wrong. Bear one another's burdens and forgive one another. Uh, these can only happen, again, if we know each other and we spend time together. We have to open ourselves up to each other and be vulnerable. People aren't perfect. You aren't. I certainly am not perfect. This means that the closer we get, the more we share, the more we are going to have to forgive we have to accept that we're all different and bear with each other in that. This doesn't mean that you have to just bear with me if I'm hurting you. 
uh, and don't realise it, or that somebody is kind of cutting through your normal and you find it upsetting, particularly if it's something that you're used to culturally that's special, and I don't know because culturally I've come from somewhere else. So the question I have there is, how do we overcome this? And I think Paul has the answer to that one as well. Sort of. He says, teach and admonish one another. This is the more difficult one, I think, for us. We bravely have to take steps saying, do you realise that as you do whatever it is that you're doing, you've hurt me or you've upset me or you've not recognised my feelings in it or you've crossed cultural boundaries? Or if we see that someone is lying, we can say, you don't need to do that. I love you, the truth is okay. Or someone who is greedy, we can encourage them to see the generosity in the gospel and show that all you could ever want is in there and that it is good and that it is available for you. For someone who's self-centered, you can show, uh, we can show them that they can be encouraged to see the variety in God's family and see how they can give, we can all give of ourselves for his good and our good. The way we teach and admonish each other is to take people to Jesus. And to say that this, whatever it is that is going on, is not in keeping with the new clothes that Jesus wants us to wear. And then we change that and we walk in a new way together. Also, it's important for us to encourage each other in the good things that we see happening around us. Where we see the community being built, relationships being restored and grown, and God's love being shown... We praise God and encourage people involved. Notice how all these uh, three things end in one another, or each other sometimes in the the NIV. Now, just take a quick look around at the people who are sat in the different pews. The people that you're sat around are the one another. These are the one another that you've got to do these things with. Let them show you Let them show them to you, and you show them to them. It'll be hard work, but be soft-hearted and be empowered by Jesus and the gospel to show love to them and to others. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing again.